Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation's Get to College program. Based in South Haven, Jackson, and Ocean Springs, Get to College advisors help students and families plan and pay for college. Learn more at woodwardhines.org. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, February 16th. I'm Ezra Wall. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, would Mississippians support or oppose an increase in the state tobacco tax? Or could that plan backfire? Then we'll hear from advocates on charter schools now that a Hines County judge has ruled in favor of school choice. And as the country mourns another mass shooting, an expert weighs in on gun use in Mississippi. Plus, an effort to improve the lives of Mississippians in impoverished Delta towns is revisiting the area traveled by Martin Luther King Jr. nearly 50 years ago. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A state Senate bill to increase the tobacco tax could save money while saving lives. That's according to a group of student supporters at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Senate Bill 2701 would increase the tax on tobacco products by $1.50, raising it to $2.18 a pack. Republican Senator Bryce Wiggins of Pascagoula chairs the Medicaid committee and wrote the bill. He says 750,000 Mississippians are covered by Medicaid and smoking-related illnesses are costly to treat. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier raising the tax could save taxpayer dollars. I filed a standalone bill, but understand this. The reason it's filed is because of the the improved health outcomes that will come from uh, increasing the tobacco tax. I'm not here about the revenue, although that is a reality. I'm here about improving the health outcomes of the state of Mississippi. You talk to every health care official under the sun, and just like this student said over here, it is at the top of what they see in, in health care as contributing to bad health and it's preventable. So the reason I filed the bill was because of the costs that I've seen in the Medicaid, which is a billion dollars state dollars, seven billion total, which is all taxpayer dollars. We are trying to control costs and improve health outcomes. And it seemed to me a no-brainer that if I'm going to stand up and make those arguments about our Medicaid program, that we need to be doing this to, to improve health outcomes. How much are you asking for in an increase? Well, my, my bill says $1.50. I understand there's the legislative process, but understand that the, the data and the research shows that it has to be at a certain level or else smoking doesn't get reduced, okay? And that's the health benefits of this. But the main thing is, and, and my bill takes the money and puts it into the Medicaid program to pay off any deficit there is and to go to tobacco secession programs and not to go into the general fund because we again we spend the a billion dollars on the Medicaid program and that's the least I think we can do if these beneficiaries are going to get coverage and treated and have it paid by the state then it's a question of fairness and so on the private level there you pay an increased premium consider this a premium for uh, smokers that are in the Medicaid division. So basically what you're saying is that you're advocating for personal responsibility. Yeah, in exactly, personal responsibility. And 
And look, including me, we in the state of Mississippi, all citizens, it's about decisions. And we make the wrong decisions. But those decisions affect the state as a whole. We're the most obese state. That's our decisions. You need medical treatment. You need health help. We have that. People smoke, but that's a choice you make, okay? But you, there's things that you can do to uh, improve that. And so, yes, it's about personal responsibility. We have a chance to step up to the plate and control something that is controllable. Shouldn't that be what the legislature does? What about people might say you're punishing me? We're not banning my bill or anybody's. It doesn't ban cigarettes, okay? All it's doing is raising that, and if that's what you want to do, that's fine. That is called choice and, and, and in my opinion, freedom. Senator Bryce Wiggins with our Desiree Frazier. Republican Senator Terry Burton of Newton says he could support some increase. I'm not opposed to raising the tobacco tax to the average of our surrounding states. I wouldn't go $1.50 on top of what we already have unless that is the average. I'm not sure exactly what it would take to raise it up to about the average of the surrounding states. I think that's the one tax we could raise that most Mississippians would not be appalled by. Uh, in this uh, climate of trying to put more money in people's pockets, uh, raising taxes is not usually something I would support. But the tobacco tax increase, a, a reasonable one, uh, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I do think we would be unwise to think that by raising the tax, we're going to generate all this money and convince people not to smoke. Because if people don't smoke, we don't get the money. So I do think that uh, eventually that will be a uh, you know, reduction in the amount of money that would come in from increased tobacco taxes. But as far as raising the tax to a reasonable level, an average of the surrounding states, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Senate pro tempore Terry Burton of Newton. The Mississippi Department of Health reports the state ranks fifth in the nation for smoking prevalence. Revenue from the cigarette tax would fund smoking cessation programs and pay Medicaid deficits, as you heard. Coming up, we'll hear from advocates for charter schools now that a Hines County judge has ruled in favor of school choice. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. For moments in black history, we highlight Mamie Teal, the mother of Emmett Teal, who was murdered in Mississippi on August 28, 1955, at the age of 14, for being accused of inappropriate behavior with the white woman. With courage and strength, Mamie Teal insisted that her son have an open casket funeral. The pictures of Emmett Teal's badly beaten body helped spark the civil rights movement throughout the country. We salute Mamie Teal for her courage. This has been MPB's Moments in Black History. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ezra Wall. The state's charter school law remains intact now that a judge has ruled in its favor. The Southern Poverty Law Center challenged the law in 2016 on behalf of public school parents. Hines County Chancery Judge Dwayne Thomas says diversion of local property taxes to charter schools are acceptable and that schools do not need to be overseen by a local or state superintendent. A group of parents of charter school students is praising the ruling. Shadrach White is director of the Mississippi Justice Institute, which represents those parents. He tells us they're focused on the quality of the students' education. The simple way to think about it is the current law allows dollars to flow with these kids to the charter school that they choose. So, you know, their parents who are taxpayers have paid into the system and 
we believe and those parents believe that the dollars ought to just go with the kids to the public charter school if that public charter school is a better option for them. There are costs, though, associated with having a school district that can't be broken down to just per pupil. I mean, like a school building, for instance, is going to age and going to need upkeep and going to need funding. And so a school district, regardless of how many students are actually there from one year to the next, need a certain base level of funding, don't they, to maintain the the infrastructure of the school system? Our belief is that uh, the parents shouldn't be trapped in one or the other. So, you know, we think that, that the market of education is going to work best if these parents get to choose where they go. And then those dollars will flow to either the public charter school or they'll flow to the traditional public school and school district. Then the best system for the parents will end up uh, winning out and winning the most people. People will vote with their feet, essentially. There are a lot of DNF schools in Mississippi, but among those DNF schools are all the charter schools that are active so far. And how many years will it take before we know whether they just need more time to kind of raise the academic level or whether it's just not working? We certainly have to give these charter schools more than just one or two years to get their feet under them. I mean, these charter schools are taking kids who are coming from typically failing schools or failing school districts. And the kids, you know, have often been bullied. We've got to give them a little bit of time and a little bit of leeway to make the lives of these kids better. Uh, The good news is that when you look around the country, there have been some huge success stories in how charter schools, when they move into an area, have changed people's lives for the better. So what's the next legal step? I know I know uh, this was a victory for you on Tuesday, uh, but it's anticipated that this uh, more appeals could be down the road and this could end up in the state Supreme Court. Correct. Within hours of this ruling coming down, the Southern Poverty Law Center appealed this case to the Mississippi Supreme Court. So we'll have to go through a few sort of bureaucratic steps before we actually get there. The record will have to be declared. That means that the trial court will assemble all the papers that were written through the course of this case, and both sides will have to take some time to look at those. Then the Southern Poverty Law Center will get a chance to write a brief before the Supreme Court, and, of course, we'll get the chance to respond. Um, Typically, lawyers like to request extensions for the filing of those briefs. So, you know, we'll be looking at... um, a case before the Mississippi Supreme Court months down the road, and, and, you know, this case may not even be resolved toward the end of this year. All right. Shadrach White is the director of the Mississippi Justice Institute. Shad, thanks for talking to us today. Thank you for having me, Ezra. In a statement, leaders from the Southern Poverty Law Center say it is uh, disappointed in the ruling and will appeal to the state Supreme Court. Coming up, as the country mourns another mass shooting, an expert weighs in on gun use here in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. On the next Fresh Air, we hear from Camille Nantani and Emily B. Gordon. Their screenplay for The Big Sick is nominated for an Oscar. Nanjani also stars in the film and directed it. The film is inspired by their own relationship and the story of how they got married. I hope you'll join us. Today at 3 on MPB Think Radio.
In the aftermath of a deadly school shooting in Parkland, Florida, some Mississippians are questioning gun laws. A teenage gunman opened fire with an AR-15 at a large high school in South Florida, claiming the lives of 17 people, including students and teachers, on Wednesday of this week. A timeline released by Florida authorities shows that the 19-year-old former student who confessed to the crime was only in the building uh, for six minutes. Francis Springer is an attorney and former law enforcement officer uh, in Jackson. We talked to him prior to this school shooting. He tells us there's a difference between what can be kept and what can be carried in Mississippi. Generally, the public does have a right to own a firearm, and uh, the Mississippi Constitution, not every state constitution has such a guarantee, uh, but the Mississippi Constitution does, and it is actually a little more broad, or excuse me, a little more narrow than the federal constitution. It does give a right to a firearm for self-defense. Uh, so in Mississippi, the average citizen does have the right to own a firearm under federal law and state law. The question that arises is, does that mean any gun anywhere for any person? Where do some of the restrictions start to come in? There are restrictions. It's not any gun and it's not any person. Guns are regulated more under federal law than state law. Uh, fully automatic rifles and pistols and some shotguns are regulated under federal law to possess those legally you have to have what's known as a, a tax stamp, $200 tax stamp. The interesting thing about fully automatic weapons is in 1986, Ronald Reagan enacted legislation, or he signed enacted legislation, that banned the import or manufacture of fully automatic weapons. So anyone that possesses a firearm, excuse me, a fully automatic weapon that was made or imported after 1986 can only be a law enforcement agency or it's contraband. So those can't be owned by just anyone. Uh, obviously, you have people, convicted felons, you have people with mental disabilities, physical disabilities, they can't own uh, firearms or possess. So there are restrictions. You spent uh, 10 or 12 years as a law enforcement officer, now you're an attorney. How is your understanding of gun laws, either as they are or as they should be, changed as, as you've broadened your point of view? Gun laws, since I guess 2007, they have, have really been relaxed. And, and for whatever reason, that can be blamed more at the state level than the federal level. I realize that people do have a right and they want to be able to have their guns and own them. But I personally think that a little bit of this is not restrictive, I guess, enough. When I was a police officer, if I saw someone carrying a gun, I had probable cause to stop them and find out what's up. Today, that wouldn't be the case because to carry a gun in the open is a is a civil right. And the officer is going to have to have probable cause, a reasonable suspicion to stop that person. And just carrying that gun is not it. Now, does that officer know if that person's up to no good? You don't know until an act's made. So I think uh, in that regard, it's not as good as it was then. The legislature has uh, passed some other guarantees about uh, gun laws and some clarifications about it. We've heard a lot of terms like open carry and concealed carry. As a gun owner and somebody who's going to carry a gun, what do you have to have a permit for in Mississippi? And what can I just go buy and just keep at my house without telling anybody about it? Well, you can basically keep anything at your house without telling anybody. There's no registration requirement in Mississippi for firearms. And until somebody discovers it, Whatever you got at your home is private. As far as carrying, a strict reading of the state constitution allows open carry. And what's happened in the past couple of years is the legislature has affirmed that through legislation. 
and a person can open carry not anywhere but almost anywhere a couple of places that can't be just carried would be a church a polling place uh, the legislature schools and any private property that someone doesn't want you carrying a gun on now as far as the constitution it says the legislature can regulate concealed carry and i think that's what's been done in the early 90s is when Mississippi had their first concealed carry law. You could get a permit from the state and you could carry a gun in certain places. Again, almost the same places you can carry the open, you can open carry in. Uh, rather recently in the past, well, I say rather recently, it's probably been in the last uh, five to ten years, they've come to the enhanced carry permit where you go through a training course, you can carry a gun concealed into more places than you can carry it with the basic permit or open carry Uh, you can carry a gun into a church you can carry it into a polling place Uh, you can take it into the legislature if you have the enhanced carry permit so those things have definitely changed i certainly appreciate your taking some time to help us understand what is legal and is not legal for gun owners in mississippi francis springer is an attorney at the springer law office in jackson He's a former Lauderdale County Deputy Sheriff. And uh, Mr. Springer, I appreciate you joining us today. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Coming up, an effort to improve the lives of Mississippians in impoverished Delta towns is uh, revisiting the area traveled by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. nearly 50 years ago. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. Many Mississippians are addicted to opioids. I, mean, I had my knee cut on in four different places and was prescribed some pain meds. Opioids are dispensed at high rates in Mississippi. More pills mean more opportunity to misuse. But I was a secret user nobody knew. I simply liked how it made me feel. Addicts share their pathways to addiction as part of the series Hooked, Mississippi's Opioid Hangover. Tune in Thursday at 7.30 on MPB Television. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ezra Wall. Organizers are honoring the legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s Poor People's Campaign this week with stops across the country, including Marks, Mississippi. Dr. King stopped in March uh, in, in, let me try that one again. Dr. King stopped in Marks in March of 1968, drumming up support for the Poor People's March on Washington, which was later that year. Leaders are raising a modern-day revival of the campaign with a two-month national tour before heading to the U.S. Capitol in June. It's being dubbed a National Call for Moral Revival. Campaign co-chair Reverend Liz Theo Harris tells MPB's Karen Brown the work is not done. These places were selected both because of diversity of poverty and other forms of oppression in those areas, as well as the strong organizing interest in the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. So many of the places we're visiting were being welcomed by leaders that are on the steering committee, the national steering committee for the campaign. Other places are a part of coordinating committees in their states that are working towards participating in and playing a leadership role in the 40 days of moral direct action that the Poor People's Campaign will be engaged in in the spring. And so we wanted to be able to you know, shine a light on the conditions that people are facing, make the United States weep at some of the conditions, but then also see the strength and power and organizing 
of poor people across racial and geographic lines who are organizing to build a moral movement for this nation. The Poor People's Campaign in Marks 50 years ago. Please tell me the situation has changed. Definitely community leaders are active and making real advancements in their communities. But poverty is still deep in Marks and in other parts of the Delta. There is still a problem and crisis around the closing down of rural hospitals, the shutting down of grocery stores and creating more food deserts, and just the economic opportunities that people are facing. Of all the locations you're going with this campaign, are the residents predominantly minority? Well, it's um, a real diversity of people that are facing poverty in this country. So we are visiting poor Black and poor Latino communities and communities of farm workers and of farmers and low-wage workers. We're also spending some time in communities where there are poor white people. So we're trying to show that poverty is all races, all geographies, all religions, that actually the majority of poor people in the United States in real numbers are white, but obviously people of color are disproportionately impacted by poverty. And so we're trying to show that reality. The Poor People's Campaign is also called a national call for moral revival. Moral revival in that there's a moral responsibility to help people. There's a responsibility to help people and that also that the real moral issues of our day are whether people have health care, whether people are getting living wages, whether people are being lifted up and out of poverty, whether people's votes are being suppressed or if they have democracy and voting rights. And so We think that our nation is in crisis, and that crisis has really gotten worse over the past 50 years, where the issues of poverty and systemic racism are not enough a part of our public discourse, and that we have too narrow of a definition of morality, where we've let some religious extremists define it as individual personal behavioral issues and not systemic injustices that are impacting so many people. Reverend Liz Theo Harris is the co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign. Reverend Theo Harris, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Hilliard Lackey is professor of history at Jackson State University and a Marx native. He tells us more about the historic events 50 years ago. The 1963 March had been about having the right to go to places you know, to follow up on Brown versus Board of Education. But people still was poor in so many sectors of the country. So, 1968, a mule train Dr. King had envisioned, 100 wagons pulled by two mules each to go 1,000 miles from Marks, Mississippi to Washington, D.C. Because we didn't have that many wagons or that many mules by that time. So, 28 wagons and 56 mules and 82 people left Marks and went to Washington. And it was the centerpiece of the Poor People's Campaign of 1968, where we wanted jobs and the elimination of poverty, programs that are user-friendly for poor people. So that was 50 years ago. But the Poor People's Campaign revived is pushing the envelope and, and, and see where it goes, because we are pushing for policies and, and laws even that are user-friendly and in in favor of poor people. Hilliard Lackey, professor of history at Jackson State University. The Poor People's Campaign 50th anniversary celebration in Mississippi will be held in Quitman County May 10th through 13th. 
Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up next at 9 o'clock, it's the Gestalt Gardener. Then at 10, next stop Mississippi. At 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women. Did you miss part of today's program? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Ezra Wall. Join us again Monday morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition only right here on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org. Conversations that are influencing 